we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Well, welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, where we travel around the world to talk to creative practitioners about how they get inspired and how they organize their ideas and gain the confidence and connections to launch their work out into the world. And if you know the work of Sonic the Hedgehog, whether it's a cartoon network or the film and many more Japanese video game-based franchises, then you know the work of our guest today, Marlene Sharp. Marlene, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yes, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, Marlene has a great company called the Pink Poodle Productions Company. I think there's a lot of meaning behind that name. We'll explore too. But Mar Marlene, <laughs> you've gained quite a reputation and quite a following in this video game based franchise, you know, turning these ideas from video games into all sorts of animation or film. What was the interest? What was the genesis of that? And how did that develop for you? I started out in this particular part of the business through temping, through working through a temp agency years and years ago. So my original dream was to perform. And, and it still is a, a dream and unfortunately more of a dream than a reality <laughs> at this point. And also, I'll just quickly introduce my uh, my collaborator because she is making herself known on my lap <laughs> at this point. But this this is the poodle of there Pink, is poodle, the poodle. Pink Poodle Productions, although she is a Bichon Poodle mix. But for the purposes of our business, she will identify as either or yes. both. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, yeah. you know, I'm curious if, you know, we think about all manner of creative uh, methods and techniques. Compare and contrast a little bit for us the approach to animation or bringing some of these video game characters to life, you know, compared to maybe writing a book or, you know, uh, writing a song or, you know, painting a painting. What What is your creative approach when you take on a project like this? I, I cannot lie and say that developing video game characters was my dream as a girl. It was not. I enjoyed playing video games well enough as a kid, but it wasn't really a career path. When I graduated from uh, graduate school in performing arts, I have an MFA in musical theater, I was only really qualified to either perform or not really anything else, uh, maybe wait tables. And even that was iffy because I'm not very coordinated at like carrying things and customer service type of scenarios. I get yes. very scared and intimidated when, with people yelling at me. Although I do have a lot of experience with people yelling at me in the entertainment business. Yes. Well, but that anyway, goes with the creative territory. Yes. I, I was interested in all different aspects of, of the entertainment industry, um, deal making and writing and producing, especially as it concerned me, because um, there aren't as many roles for women. I'm a character woman, <laughs> not really a leading lady, 
much, much to my chagrin, as I learned <laughs> quickly when I got it to Hollywood. Like I said, I fell into this video game driven content business through my first temp job. And I was working for a company called Bandai. Well, I was working for a gentleman who had just not long before had retired from being the president of Bandai America. <clears throat> he worked closely with Bandai Japan, which owned Power Rangers at the time and uh, lots of other intellectual properties that stemmed from Japan. And then the intent was to export them to other places worldwide. So Power Rangers had done very well in that regard. And so he had a lot of projects that he he was responsible for. My boss, his name is Frank Ward, he had retired from Bandai, but retained a an exclusive consulting arrangement with them. He would get a lot of material from Japan and the Japanese headquarters would say, what, what can you do with this outside of Japan? And oftentimes it would include recutting the footage and making a more three-act structure. A lot of the anime that we received was very stream of consciousness storytelling. That's not ideal for Western audiences that are used to a beginning, middle, and end. That's right. And we were not ever really concerned with making great art. We were concerned with selling toys. And that is what 99, I would say 99% of the kids entertainment business is about. It's first to sell stuff and to sustain a business, mostly through consumer products. And of course, everybody likes to win Emmys and feel that they're artistic and making great content that will survive and be taught in literature and film studies classes for years to come. <laughs> but that's not so much the reality. My old boss, Frank, had some really great quotes that he would tell the writers of the series. One of my favorites was, we're not winning awards, we're selling toys. <laughs> and then he would also he'd follow that up by saying like i don't want to see a script that's this big it needs to be this big but meaning printed out because yeah. he wanted it to be all action you know we would have to follow the production or follow the development and then the production to make sure that the toys were being played with in the correct play pattern to make kids want to buy them and imitate that that role playing in mm -hmm. real life. So there wasn't a lot of artfulness involved. There was a lot of, there was creativity in the sense that we, <laughs> we had to disguise the fact that we were selling so much because we, it, it wasn't supposed to be a commercial for, for toys. So there needed to be storytelling, but it wasn't like mounting a Shakespearean play in, yeah. in the university yeah. setting. Well, Marlene, so. you're describing an interesting overlap between the you know, sort of creative and the business. Yeah, mm -hmm. Yes, it's great to talk about the pop culture names like Power Rangers and, and Sonic the Hedgehog. But you know, <laughs> your other work in strategy and acquisitions and licensing and, and all the other, what's the business side of this that we need to understand? Well, in the kids and family business, it's very important to keep in mind co-viewing experiences. So while you are trying to make content and then toys and consumer products that are appealing to kids, most kids don't have their own discretionary income to buy these things. So you must appeal to the parents as well, but not appeal to them in an edgy, 
grown-up way. It's a more wholesome and inclusive experience rather than, say, like a violent movie like John Wick or something of that of that yes. nature. Also, it's very important from the beginning to think about the consumer products plan because if it's an afterthought, it's harder to establish a cohesiveness amongst all the different branches of the iterations of the intellectual property. I think Power Rangers, while it's not the greatest production value in the sense that what you see on the screen, you wouldn't necessarily say it was the best at anything. It has been very effective in in selling toys. And oftentimes, part of the reason for that is that it was developed by a toy company. So a toy company, instead of sinking all this money into traditional advertising, billboards and TV commercials, they put more money into doing a series that would have some chance of recouping the investment and wouldn't be so limited as far as the time frame. So like a commercial is going to get stale pretty quickly and a company is not usually able to monetize it. But when a brand makes content, it will live in a catalog that will be able to be monetized over time. And so that helps to offset the investment. But kids and family content, the consumer products plan, it seems to work best if it's incorporated from the very beginning. And if everybody who's working on it is in agreement that we're servicing the brand, we're not servicing someone's ego <laughs> unless that's the person paying the paychecks like unless it's like when I worked at level five which is another Japanese video game company there is a, a man who started the company Hino-san and Hino-san is very much an auteur there we were ser- serving Hino-san's initiatives he was the brains behind the operation when it's a company like Sega where there are a lot of different stakeholders when I worked on Sonic Boom the TV series we had a lot of different co-production partners. And here at Pink Poodle Productions, we really just work to make Blanche happy. That's right. Uh, Whatever keeps the poodle happy. Exactly. (laughs) And right now she's getting a little antsy. I'm not sure why. This is our first Zoom of the day. And she usually usually has a bigger tolerance for for Zooms. But today she's she's calling time. Rather quickly, but Blanche, look at the look at the camera. People want to see you. Say hi, Blanche. You're in demand. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Marlene, let's bring it up to date. Then you're working on another uh, family friendly project. Tell us about that. I'm working on a film trilogy called Young Captain Nemo, based on a book trilogy called Young Captain Nemo, and. The company that is behind it is called Rainshine Entertainment. And Rainshine is based in Mumbai in India. And then there is a small team of us working here out of Los Angeles. There's a core team of um, four of us that work on other initiatives for the company, as well as Young Captain Nemo. And then we've just hired several folks to come on board just for the movie. So people specific to animation. But Rainshine does a lot of different kinds of projects, not just animation. Rainshine is uh, well known in in the region for 
podcasts as well as live action dramas and reality shows and comedy and all kinds of things. Wonderful. Now, in addition to this, you also have a personal passion for creating programs for uh, viewers with autism. And there's some special creative challenges and special creative parameters that you like to bring to bear. I hope you tell us a little bit about that. I mentor a special group of artists at a school called the Center for Learning Unlimited. It's in Torrance, California, which is part of Los Angeles. And so the school has kindergarten through 12th grade curriculum. And what grew out of that was an animation career training program for adults on the autism spectrum. So I work specifically with that program. So it's adults 18 and over. Well, they're all high school graduates. The ages range between 18 and probably 40 at this point. A lot of uh, diversity in Mm -hmm. age range and backgrounds and so forth. So there's a three-year training program that's a certificate program. When the students finish that program, they can go into Brainstorm Productions, which is the companion studio. The studio serves as a traditional studio that would take work for higher opportunities and, and we do original content as well. It's a bridge between the academic program and working at a big third-party studio. Great initiative. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And so what sort of practical, creative challenges do you have there? The students are very adaptable and flexible. I find that the biggest challenge was when I came on board, the the program was already in its third year. So I stepped in there to give advice on basically to be the entertainment industry liaison. The students were very focused on life drawing and technique. They were also learning Maya software. So it was very much focused on practical aspects of producing animation, navigating the software and and what you would need to do to put something on the screen, but not so much navigating the business of entertainment. So I've tried to bring in a lot of guest speakers for the students and also for the instructors. So I I like to joke that the biggest challenge was working with the instructors as a part of those <laughs> of the students because it seemed like I was coming in and shaking things up by injecting, you know, all these industry pros who would come and talk. And then also I was very vocal about, okay, we need to instill an entrepreneurial spirit here or encourage there were students who were doing their own YouTube channels and, you know, selling commissioned work. That's something that's fantastic because the studio grind of, you know, working on a, let's say a Disney or a Pixar film is not for everybody. And especially with the neurodiverse population, it's even more, it's more challenging for a variety of reasons. I think that the more we can, we can have them, become one-person studios and work independently, especially when COVID came around and everybody was working independently. Even if you were on a crew, you were still at home and responsible for budgeting your time and whatever. I I thought that was advantageous. And so um, I came blazing in there and uh, injecting all this this new thinking. And so sometimes it, it was 
great. And sometimes it, it took some convincing and, yes. and whatnot. As, as it is in almost any creative endeavor, <laughs> but uh, this one is yeah. uh, particularly commendable and uh, encouraging. Thanks for this work. Oh, well, yeah, it's yeah, a pleasure. Marvin, in getting to know you, we uh, discovered that we both have some roots back in Louisiana. Uh, yes. Freeport and Baton Rouge, you in uh, New Orleans. Let's imagine there we are at Cafe Dumont having a <laughs> coffee and a bende. Um, <laughs> how did those kind of Southern roots prepare you for the creative career path that you're on today? <laughs> well, I have to say that the most cutthroat people that I ever collaborated with were in New Orleans and <laughs> not in Hollywood. <laughs> so I feel like the mean girl experience that I, cause I went all through Catholic schools as is very common in new Orleans, went to an all girls Catholic high school. I just expected the hard knocks. I just <laughs> braced myself. And when I came here to Los Angeles, it was kind of like, Oh, well, this, this feels rather familiar. <laughs> it might not feel great, but it's not like, a new it's not like you didn't know how to use your elbows. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I know this grind. I it's very familiar. So there is that, and also it's quite delightful to tell people that you're from New Orleans because everyone seems to love it, which is great. Because I will admit that I am the worst New Orleans ambassador ever. <laughs> I cannot wait to get out of there. Uh, from the time that I realized that show business was not it did not originate in new orleans where projects maybe would film there every once in a while but not really originate there i was all about getting out and getting getting to the the big stuff and then also i'm just not i, I don't know if you've found this to be true but i don't drink and I don't like football. And those are two <laughs> These things are big that prerequisites. Make, make you a total outcast. I like books. I like nerdy, not necessarily nerd culture, although I am in that business now, but I was into like doing well in school, like that kind of nerdy stuff, like reading, following rules, not partying too much, you know, just very, very low key kind of stuff. And that's not really embraced there either yeah. so <laughs> actually here in in los angeles there's a lot of hype about the culture of hollywood and you know celebrities misbehaving and so forth but for the most part i find that people are very career conscious here and people buckle down and work insane hours will make all kinds of sacrifices for their careers and stuff and that that's more relatable to me than going to a Saints game and um, getting hammered. Yes, so <laughs> exactly. Well, as we as we talk about this, I think uh, I give a shout out to one of my previous guests who lives in the south of France, but has family in New Orleans. And we keep promising that we're going to meet in New Orleans sometimes for those coffee and beignets. So uh, shout out to Natalette uh, Lafantasis in the south of France. And if you're listening, let's get together for that coffee in New Orleans. And then let's go back and to our uh, places of work and get down to business. <laughs> yes. Well, it's the greatest place in the world to eat. That is for, that sure. Is for sure. It is the best. Yeah. You can't, you can't beat the food there. And, and there's, there is a lot to do. And if you love history, history and architecture and those types of things, it's certainly a, a pleasure to vacation there. I like sure. to 
when I go back, do some of the tourist things and it's really nice. Yes. Well, Marlene, you've told some great stories. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And before we end, I want to make sure people know how to find you and connect with you and learn more about your work. Sure. Well, I am a maniac on LinkedIn. So if you really want to find me, you don't have to look very hard on LinkedIn because I'm posting a lot. And I'm also on all the usual suspects like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and various other places. If you Google me, you'll you'll find me as a guest on a lot of podcasts. And um, I always have a million projects going on because of my busybody nature. So I'm out there and, and easily accessible. And also my uh, website, pinkpoodleproductions.com can send messages to me there too. Perfect. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes. Well, Marlene, before we go, you, you've told about how you got into the business and kind of the practical ways you've moved around the business. Give some advice, I guess, or at least encouragement and motivation to listeners of the podcast who might be saying, I just don't know how to break in. You know, I don't know how to start. I have this dream. I have this idea. I know I can do the work. How do I make those connections? What works for you? Well, being proactive, in my opinion, it involves self-promotion. And I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, but you can find sneaky ways to do it. Social media, for example, posting pictures or videos of things that you've done, that you've created. Um, also entering film festivals and competitions. If you can enter your screenplays, you can enter photography, you can, there are all kinds of, of ways, but also be open to possibilities because you never know when something will fall into your lap, but not in an obvious way. So like be open to talking to that person in front of you in line at the grocery store, or you can go to a film festival as an attendee and chances are very good that you will run into at least one person there who is in the same business or wants to do the same things as you. It's keeping an open mind also, and being nice to everybody, really. I don't find that it's helpful to, to look down on people or dismiss people as not being relevant to whatever it is that you're doing. Of course, some people make a career out of that, but, um, but I find it much more conducive to good karma as well as just good things happening to be kind to everyone and to, if you're able to help somebody else, then it just puts those good vibes out in the world and it makes it more likely that someone would do the same for you. Absolutely. Nice so. two-way street. Well, thanks for that insight. And I know that's based on uh, both experience and, you know, watching others, but also, you know, living through some of those connections. So thanks for sharing that. Yes, my pleasure. Well, we've traveled to uh, LA today. We've been right in the middle of Hollywood, <laughs> but we took a little side trip to New Orleans. But we're going to continue <laughs> our around the world journey to talk to creative practitioners like our guest today, Marlene Sharp. Marlene, can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. It was so much fun. Thank yes, you for we'll talk hosting you again Blanche and I. <laughs> yes, Blanche was terrific as well. Well, listeners, <laughs> come you. back for our next episode. We'll continue to explore how to develop new and creative ideas, but also how to organize those ideas, make the connections, gain the confidence, get into the game to launch your creative work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for The Patients Speak on your favorite podcast app.